Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and today it's a pleasure to have Congressman Eric Swallow with us. I almost did that, didn't I? Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the impeachment and what comes next. So join us when we come back. And uh, we are back, and Congressman, I really do appreciate you being here, and I guess, to, you know, the title of this is Just Ask the yeah. Question, uh, so I'm just going to ask you the question. What do you think is the biggest problem that the Democrats have moving forward with Donald Trump and impeachment? Uh, too many senators worry more about their job uh, than doing what's right. And you, you see Cory Gardner, who uh, Wall Street Journal yesterday said uh, in a private meeting with senators, uh, that if they have witnesses in this Senate trial, that's going to hurt him at home and it's going to be used against him in his reelection. And constantly I bump up against this, like, I don't, who cares about your job? Like, right. isn't it about doing what's right? And I, that's what's that so, protect your job? That, <laughs> you would hope, like, people would say, you know what, I, I like a guy that does what's right. But I, I see, I don't see senators saying, I think Donald Trump should win the Nobel Peace Prize for what he did with Ukraine. I just see them saying, like, I actually don't want to know what he did, because if I know what he did, then I'm going to probably have to vote against what my base wants, and then that will hurt me with my job. And so it's just so nakedly, um, I would say, self-serving. And they're not, they're not even hiding it anymore. And, and, no. And that's what, that's what I think is the challenge right now, is that we uh, are facing the prospect of not having witnesses uh, in a trial. I think that I've never heard of a trial without witnesses. I don't buy the argument that you had. Now, I have talked to Ted Cruz and with Cornyn and, Mo and Mitch McConnell, and all of them say, you blew it in the House. You had your chance. You could have called Bolton in the House, and you didn't do it. And then Adam Schiff come out, and Congressman Schiff, hey, we did try to call him in, in the House, and he wouldn't show up. Yeah. So if we get him in the Senate, that's the first question we should ask him is why, would, why wouldn't he agree to go in the House, but he agrees to go before the Senate? We did try and get him in the House. He wanted to play games, but he wants to testify now. And if you follow that Cruz logic, even as, assume that you, he's right, that the House didn't put together you know, the best process, uh, the process that Cruz would have liked. Is he suggesting that we should let a corrupt president get away with it because he wants to punish the House? Like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, you have the chance now. You're looking for logic, though. Right, right. <laughs> you have the chance now to fix what you think were the flaws of the House case, and you're telling me that you just, I don't like what the House did. I, I have questions about what the President did, but I'm going to punish the House and not you know, uphold the rule of law. That, that's what frustrates me, is even if you assume that they're right and the, that the House messed it up, they are discounting their ability to fix it by actually subpoenaing these witnesses. Well, from my generation to yours, I apologize for what we <laughs> leave you with. Um, and, and it is. It's squarely. But there's a lot of stories of honor that have come out of this saga, right? Such and, as? Well, for a long time, 
from the inception of this administration, I think a lot of people were wondering, you know, are there people on the inside that are like doing the right thing, or is this administration just rotting from the core? And now, you know, you, you see that there are people like uh, Bill Taylor, um, Ambassador Yovanovitch, Dr. Fiona Hill, I mean, even John Bolton, right? I mean, it, it, as frustrating as it is that he won't testify. No one would ever defend John Bolton before this. <laughs> but <laughs> to, to, to hear these accounts that he was saying, go tell the lawyers as early as July 10, uh, and to hear that he called uh, Elliot Engel, uh, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, after he was fired and said, you should look into this Yovanovitch thing, that makes me feel about better. About calling it a drug deal. Yeah, that makes me feel better that there were people on the inside uh, who we're trying to do the right thing. And I hope that encourages others to keep coming forward if they've seen wrongdoing uh, and to feel like that, you know, there's safety in numbers now because you're not the only one. Do you still have hope? Yes, you have to. You I have agree to. with that, yeah. but do you have legitimate evidence for having hope or do you think it's just? I, my, my hope is that, and I was confident going into the midterm elections uh, because, you know, there's a lot of panic among people that, you know, he, that they would keep the House and we'd have no recourse. And I, I could, I felt when we won a special election in Alabama in 2017 that the right. trend was our way. And in the midterms in 2018, I, I felt that people were just fed up and they wanted to check on this president. And I think there may be some short-term wins that the Senate gets by blocking witnesses, but I think there's going to be a reckoning uh, in November. Uh, and I think the Republican Party will pay a price for a long time. They, I think and I will reward, and I think Democrats should say, if you do the right thing now, you allow witnesses, you remove him from office, um, you know, we're, that will be rewarded. Like, we, we will say that the country, you know, it's a, we need to come out of this mess uh, and reward the courage that the senators uh, showed. I, I, I think they're worthy of that if they're willing to show uh, that courage. But I, they're going to pay the price for this. Um, if if they don't do the right thing. I'm, I'm confident in that. Well, that's the calculated risk, is it not? I mean, Mitch McConnell is nothing if not an excellent counter of votes. Yes. So his entire defense of the president has been based upon that calculation, his trying to protect his caucus right. at the same time if he can protect the president. I guess what I'm saying is, and the question is, I don't think, and you tell me if I'm wrong, I don't think that Mitch McConnell sees that there will be a retribution for him personally or his caucus. I think that's right. I, I do believe he probably understands that if he allows witnesses, um, you're probably removing a president. Um, or, I think you have a greater or, chance. That well, the I mean, door will or, open. Or, you have to, or you're, you're really going to have to explain why you didn't. Because everything we know about this case is that when more witnesses come forward and more documents are revealed, the arrows just point uh, more sharply toward Trump's guilt. and. There hasn't been an exonerating witness yet. And so I, I think McConnell would rather bury the evidence now <laughs> and pay the price for not allowing witnesses than to allow witness, yeah, than to allow witnesses and pay an even steeper price uh, for not removing. I, I think that's the you know, sick calculation that he's making. Again, doing the right thing is not it doesn't seem to be anywhere uh, not with factored Mitch. into that's this. never been, yeah. that's never been a factor. But when you look at it and how it's it's played out, do you think that it, at the end of the day that there are Republicans who realize, who see the writing on the wall? And do you think the writing is on the wall? A Republican today uh, you know, privately told me uh, that if Trump was removed, at least 
you know, we wouldn't have as many political problems going into 2020, like that they would free themselves from this, uh, you know, corrupt president. And again, you know, these senators, I think, should step back and realize removing Donald Trump does not mean that Nancy Pelosi, as great as that would be, is president. It doesn't right. mean that Hillary Clinton is, you know, put in as president. It, it's still in your party's hands. To me, it's you're removing uh, the most corrupt person who's ever served in that office. And that's the question I have. I, you, when you listen to the House uh, managers go over the case against the president, I, I've been covering it since mm -hmm. day one, and I had forgotten some mm -hmm. of it. But it seems like we've just been steamrolled with all this stuff. And to actually go back and go through it, my question to uh, Ted Cruz that got him really upset is, if you don't get rid of this president for this, what, what do you get rid of a president for? <laughs> and, and so I, I asked myself uh, before I, you know, supported impeachment, knowing that the outcome would probably be determined in the Senate, like why still go forward with this? And, and, and first and foremost, I always thought, like, you have to, you know, set the precedent that you can't do this. Um, and you have to check, check him and hold him accountable for doing this. And then I thought future presidents need to know that we're not lowering the standard of conduct so that... You know, you don't have presidents coming in and saying, well, I may be corrupt, but I'm not as corrupt as Donald Trump, and he didn't get impeached. Like, we, right. we don't want that. But I also realized... A realize, Democrat or a Republican. Democrat or Republican. Yeah. Uh, but I also realized along the way, and I, I think it was when Dr. Hill was testifying, that there's a third benefit. It's not just holding Trump accountable for what he did. <clears throat> it's not just setting a precedent for future presidents. This actually stops Trump's corruption. If, if you think about it, Fiona Hill and Vindman went to the lawyers. Whistleblower came forward after the call. Ukraine finally got the aid. Had those folks not stood up to him, Ukraine would still not have the aid today, and he'd still be shaking them down to investigate the Bidens. And so when people stand up to Trump, I think you at least temporarily stop whatever scheme he has. So to me, impeachment is like stepping up to him like Hill, Vindman, and the whistleblower did. And who knows, you know, what corrupt schemes are at least halted right now while he faces this impeachment inquiry. And so that, uh, to me, is, the message is keep standing up to this guy uh, until he's, well, uh, you know, stopped. As someone who's trying to ask him questions. I know, I watch. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I agree with that. But I, I also am curious as to why there are people who are afraid of him. I cannot fathom that. And... There, I mean, that statement about heads on a pike and the tweets that he makes and the, the just the insults and the anger and the vitriol, yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't take it from one of right. my children. Right. <laughs> and it was so disingenuous for the senators to say that uh, Schiff bringing up the heads on the pike threat, that Schiff lost them when he mentioned that. Oh. I mean, what better way to prove that you're not afraid of Donald Trump than to say that saying you might be afraid of Donald Trump means you're no longer, you know, going to <laughs> follow the evidence. I mean, it, it really is disingenuous. It, it's not, I really think it just comes down to being afraid of losing your job. And it, people always say you're putting the party over your country. It's not putting the party over your country. These folks just are putting their job over the country. And what's so frustrating is that I would hope that the people I serve with here could find another job, that this isn't the only job, or as you said earlier, keep their job because they did the right thing. But 
that's that's the primary. Well, I got uh, news for you. Some of them couldn't get a job anywhere yeah, else. But yeah, that's, I, we're we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about some of the root causes of this. And it's an issue that you first came to notice for me yeah. about, and we're going to talk a little bit yeah. about no child left behind. <laughs> so we're back, and Congressman, I guess the um, you first came to my attention when you opposed uh, one of my least favorite pieces of legislation <laughs> ever, and that was no child left yeah. behind. As I told you in the break, I always thought No Child Left Behind was Every Child Left Behind yeah. because it, it eliminated teaching critical thinking. It taught to a test. A lot of those kids throughout that No Child Left Behind are now adults and voting. How does that affect the United States of America and, and our voters and our electorate? Well, I think we have a, a massive skills gap uh, in America, and, and I see it not just in my congressional district in the East Bay of California, uh, but I, I see too many you know students who are uh, being prepared singularly for a test and then to get to college again it's just more preparation for uh, tests and not exposing them to the industries around them uh, and preparing them for the skills they're going to need to go in uh, to those industries and so I what I have tried to do in my own district is to connect uh, especially the high schools uh, the community colleges uh, with uh, the building trades, uh, because they have a, a shortage of workers, uh, with the Fortune uh, 500 companies that have big workforces around my district, and asking them, like, what are you doing to work together so that, you know, you as a business are telling the schools what the skills gaps are, and you as the schools are talking to the businesses about what do we need, you know, for curriculum to prepare our kids. Uh, but I, I do see that for too many people, their destiny, their destiny is determined uh, by their zip code. And the federal government puts a lot of requirements in as far as you know, testing, uh, but does not put a lot of funding behind uh, what it takes to prepare and make sure every kid can compete. And I, I would just finally add um, that students with disabilities is one of the biggest challenges that every local school district uh, faces. And, and if you're a parent with a child with disabilities, it's a full-time job to fight for your kid and the schools are inadequately funded and so I have supported uh, fully funding what's called the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act so that our local schools have more federal funding uh, to meet those needs but uh, it, it, it is a problem I, I just happen to think that only focusing on a test uh, as you said uh, leaves uh, everyone behind well and, and to, go, to move beyond just getting a job and being able to yeah. be you know to me when I talk to young voters and I'm interviewing them and I ask them, one of the things that I find scary and yet fascinating is particularly when it comes to impeachment or how the federal government works or how their state government works, they don't know. So I was sitting in, in, in my office uh, the night that we took the vote, came back with my staff and we had ordered pizza. Uh, it was late night and we all just wanted to kind of take in what had happened and talk about it. And some of my staffers uh, were reading the text messages they were getting from some of their friends. And so these are like Capitol Hill staffers whose friends, you know, went to four-year universities or even more. And they're texting my staff saying, does this mean Trump is gone? He's out of office now? You just impeached him? And so, you know, civics has been, uh, you know, taken out of, uh, you know, many schools required curriculum. And, and yes. I, I do worry that uh, that could affect our ability to hold you know, a corrupt president, a, you know, a corrupt politician at any level uh, accountable, be feeling like we don't have the recourse uh, to do well, that. Well, and feeling like you're, and, and part of that, they, uh, what I see and hear from 
from some of those kids is, and, and I, kids now they're all adults, but um, <clears throat> that their vote doesn't matter. There's nothing they can do, and so that drives down, which it, which co totally gives the advantage to the the powerful because if you feel like your vote doesn't count, you don't come out and vote, no. and that's what happened, you know, in the last election, and we rarely have. 50% uh, voter turnout, even right. for a presidential election. Yeah. So uh, it scares me, and I'm I'm wondering to take it further. You know, no child left behind. I like to have a, you know fewer adults left behind. But if you can't teach civics, I think we're screwed. And if we don't readdress how we look at our elections, yeah. you know, there's yeah. talk of making it a federal holiday, yeah. election day, extending uh, you know elections. So that you can have yeah. you know vote for a week or so before uh, you know the actual election day. Does any of that appeal to you? It it, it does. Um, so I've supported the For the People Act, which uh, was House Resolution One, the a priority piece of legislation. And what that did was uh, it, it put in place independent redistricting commissions in every state. So no more gerrymandering, where politicians just draw districts that protect themselves and their friends. Uh, it would be drawn by, you know, God forbid, math and geography. <laughs> uh, and then second, no, uh, gerrymandering. no gerrymandering. And then move toward publicly financed uh, campaigns. Because I think dirty maps and dirty money are the root cause of Absolutely. so many of these issues. But when it comes to voter engagement, uh, no question, you know, suppression, particularly in communities uh, of color, uh, limits, uh, you know, who shows up and who is heard and, and who we act for. One proposal I have uh, is that we, yes, a, a federal holiday, but also I would like to look at, you know, using or moving toward online voting. And the, the pushback I get immediately is, you can't do that. I'm a fan of the, that. The Russians will hack it, blah, blah, blah. Well, first, the Russians have already hacked the, <laughs> the election. Second, uh, are you telling me that, you know, paper ballots are any better. I mean, we've seen they're fraught with issues. Third, the absentee voting in states where I put my ballot in the mailbox, a post, you know, a postal worker picks it up, transports it, goes through multiple facilities, goes to the county board of elections. Are you telling me that that is, you know, uh, flawless? No. But what I would like to do is have a Manhattan-like project uh, when it comes to voting and ask the best engineers uh, in America to at least look at whether we could have a secure, online, online. auditable voting. And if we can't, fine, uh, we won't do it. But tell me that we at least try, because that would, I think, would increase access for seniors, uh, communities of color, and certainly uh, young people who Couldn't would want to do it. So, yeah, so <laughs> let, like, why not at least try? try. If it doesn't work, I, I'll be the first to say it didn't work. But I, I think we should at least try, uh, because we've been voting the same way um, for too long. We're going to take one quick break and come back. I've got just a couple of quick questions for you. Um, and I'll tell you. So we're back for a few uh, final questions. I guess the question I have to ask you, sitting here in your office, is what's with all the ducks? Yeah. You've got a lot of ducks on here. Sometimes they're in a row. Uh, yeah. but, so my first campaign, uh, we, we had the first parade. And it, every parade as a politician, you face a decision point. Like, what do you pass out to the kids? Is it candy? You know, is pencils? I mean, it, you want to give them something that brands the campaign and that they're not going to throw away. So I was a single man, uh, you know, not married, no kids at the time. So I didn't really have many great ideas. But a, a, mom, <laughs> a mom volunteer uh, on the campaign uh, said, who had kids, she said, um, kids love rubber duckies. 
She said, put the campaign logo on a rubber ducky. And so every, camp, every parade we did, if it was a Veterans Day parade, we had veterans ducks, and then we had the campaign logo on it. If it was a Halloween parade, we had Halloween ducks and a logo on it. So now when people visit me in Washington from home, they remember uh, that we were the rubber ducky campaign and they bring different ducks. Just, yeah, so we have I a, got a few ducks I'll yeah. give to you from the kids. We have we have Big Ben duck. We've got the Canadian uh, Royal Mounted Police duck. We've got uh, the Arab duck over there. Uh, the white yeah. duck. I we have an Icelandic duck. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Oakland A's duck. We've we've got again all the ducks uh, there, and that you know that was our brand. You can't duck really that. Issue. Yeah, oh, hey, <laughs> that's hey, right. Hey, <laughs> and I guess the the big question is yeah. going forward, you. Do you foresee yourself ever running again for president? Doctor says it's out of my system, um, <laughs> thankfully. But, you know, I, I ran on the issue of gun violence. You know, I was inspired by the post-Parkland activism, particularly from students, when they, you know, led the cause that beat 19 NRA-endorsed members of Congress. And I thought we should have someone in the White House that makes that a priority and, and build on that momentum. Got on the debate stage, was able to ask, you know, Vice President Biden and Senator Sanders if they would support, you know, an assault weapons ban, uh, a mandatory buyback, as I was proposing, and and they both said that they would. And so I felt like I advanced that issue. I learned a lot. I think I'm a better voice in Congress because I, you know, went to these different states. I saw how different we are. But I, you know, the advice I give, you know, to my interns when we have a lunch at the end of their uh, their semesters with us is that you should always just focus on the issues you care about and you'll find the right way to serve them. Uh, but if you just start with like an office, you know, then you, you, you're probably going to be disappointed. And I didn't seek to run for president 10 years ago, but like working as I did to help us win the midterms, I thought the best way to serve these issues with a younger, more diverse Congress would be to have a generational leader in the White House. Well, that's, and, and I, there are two things that come to mind mentioning that. You called Biden out for passing Pass the, the torch, torch which was his quote yeah yeah which yeah. and and which makes a lot of sense to me yeah. uh we have aging leadership in the republicans and among the democrats and then your your the forum that you have for the future uh, forum future yeah forum. because your generation and here i am calling myself old again <laughs> but you know i just have my first grandson so i get to say that but you're Congratulations. Whole, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great kid. Live out in California. Got to go see him. Uh, I got to go see him. Uh, but um, what you said struck me because when I was that age, I was looking for someone my age as a leader and did not find yeah. them. And I wonder what's, what is it going to take so that my grandson has a world to live in that's better, that I leave him with something better than what we had. So what yeah. do you think going forward needs to be done with leadership in this country so that we have people who are not, yeah. you know, octogenarians running the country? Yeah. I, I think it's for young people to appreciate the power that they have and that they're not helpless in, in, in going, marching the way they did and uh, taking out, you know, those members of Congress that were taking all that NRA support. It made the difference. We passed background checks in the House, biggest, you know, most sweeping gun violence legislation in decades because they gave us the House. Now we need their activism to help us win the Senate and, you know, to win the White House. But the, the personal timeline that I have for myself is that, you know, I have a two-year-old and a one-year-old, and I know Great that kids, they're fun. It's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, and they're, but they're, they're at risk of joining kids today in these, you know, duck and cover mass shooting drills that are so traumatizing. And so the personal kind of horizon date that I have in mind is that 
uh, my kids will, when they go to school, um, those drills will no longer exist. And that one day my, my daughter or son will ask me, like, Dad, did kids really duck under their desk because they thought someone would shoot them? They, like, it'll be so foreign to them. And the hope, that hope is rooted in the fact that these students um, will come of age and put in place leaders uh, that are generational and, and will solve gun violence, will take on climate, will reduce student loan debt, which again is a generational issue. So many of my colleagues, um, I, I don't think in years past appreciated it now with over 50 of us in our 40s and under, many of us like myself with student loan debt, we get the burden that it is and you know, we're gonna fight to you know, do something about it. Well, listen, I appreciate you being here. Of course. And, and I'd love to do it again. And, and keep asking tough questions on both sides. I, it, I do. It, <laughs> again, when you, when you lose hope and I see you, you know, at the White House you know, asking the questions that we all want answered, you know, whether he answers, answers them or not, at least you're fighting you know, to ask Just them, and that's, ask that's important. That's yeah. what Helen Thomas told me. That's why I called yeah. the podcast this. She said, look, Brian, it doesn't matter if it gets answered, but if it gets asked, they yeah. cannot deny that the issue is before them. That's well, right. maybe this one can. Yeah. But. God bless Ellen Thomas. <laughs> well, listen, thanks a lot. Of we'll catch you next thanks, time. Brian. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and thanks for joining us.